Bible's with me tonight. Turn to John chapter 15. We're going to continue our, our study entitled The Abundant Life. And as I mentioned uh, last Wednesday, this was a study I intended to, uh, or a message I intended to preach on Sunday evening. And as I prepared it, it grew, so I decided to make it a two-part, and it continued to grow, so I made it a three-part. And actually, it could continue for quite a while, I think, but we have to wrap it up tonight. So, just want to review real quickly. Uh, So far in our examination of the abundant life, we've seen that, number one, the abundant life is a fruitful life. And we saw that in John chapter 15 and uh, verse number Two, where, where the Lord said that every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. And the abundant life is a fruitful life. And we said, first of all, that the fruit is manifested in the works of the Spirit in our life, and, and the fruit of the Spirit, all those elements of the fruit of the Spirit are manifested in our life. Uh, when we live our lives uh, within, the, within Christ, within the vine, we said, secondly, that the fruitful life is manifested in the winning of souls through our witness. And we, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, uh, the witness that we have in Christ, and our witness that we have in Christ comes through the fruit that, that Christ pr- produces in our life because of our abiding in the vine. It's not because of, rights of right, works of righteousness that we have done but it's because of the righteousness of Christ that we have a witness and we have a testimony with which we can go and and witness for Christ and souls are are saved because of that. And then we said thirdly that the fruitful life is manifested in our spiritual growth. And uh, we we talked a little bit about the desire that God has that we would grow and and he's ordained that we should grow in in the vine and uh, a healthy branch grows from the vine and and, and that's how we are to grow. We are to grow in Christ, not apart from Christ, but in Christ. And then last uh, Sunday night, we talked about the abundant life is an abiding life. And when we looked at the, we looked at the definition of abide, we saw four, uh, four root elements. And first, we said that we are to dwell in his word. Uh, we are to dwell in the word of God, and the word of God is to dwell in us richly. And so we, we saw that. Secondly, we we saw that we are to rest in his righteousness. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we saw that the rest that God gives us is, is uh, the rest from our labors to, to attempt to be righteous. That God makes us righteous through the vine, through Christ. And, uh, and that we can do nothing of ourselves to become righteous, but by virtue of the grace of God, we are made righteous uh, through the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then we saw, thirdly, that we are to continue in his love. And we, we saw uh, from our study that uh, what this implies is that we are to continue in Christ's love uh, unaltered. We're not, to, we're not to fall into this trap that we see all over the world today of this, of this uh, incorrect teaching of the love of Christ, this this uh, prosperity preaching and all these things we see today where men have corrupted uh, the true message of the love of Christ. And Christ's love is found in the cross at Calvary, and we must remember that, and we must continue in the love that, uh, that Christ has started. And then, fourthly, we saw that we are to stand in his strength. And uh, we looked at the scriptures and saw that uh, we are to wait on the Lord. We're, 
We of ourselves have no strength. We cannot, we cannot conquer the flesh. We cannot conquer death. We cannot conquer the devil. We cannot conquer the world. But we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And we're to stand in the strength of Christ and Christ alone. And not trust in our own strengths and in our own abilities, but in him and him alone. So now tonight I'd like to conclude this study by looking at two more observations concerning the abundant life. And there are so many more that we could look at, but time constraints we're going to look at, attempt to look at two tonight. I'm getting a little bit of an early start, so I think we got a good shot at getting through all of it. So uh, strap on your seatbelts and here we go. Number three, the abundant life is an obedient life. You should be at John chapter 15. Look at verse number 10 with me, if you would. We read here, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Let's pray before we go on any further. Our Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We are so unworthy, Lord, and as we As we sit here tonight, we realize that if it were not for Christ, for the vine, we would have no life, and we could have no fruit, and we could could never please you. So we thank you for the fact that you have have made us a part of, of your work, that we are grafted into the vine, Jesus, and that we live our lives through him. Thank you for all these things. Holy Spirit, tonight we ask that you would instruct our hearts and minds, that you would teach us these things. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Obedience. Uh, This is absolutely foundational. What was the first sin committed by man? It was disobedience. God had given a command that, that Adam and Eve will not eat from that tree, and they disobeyed God. So disobedience was was at the root of the of the first sin ever committed. And at the heart of every sin man commits is rebellion against God. And you and I need to remember that. We need to remember that when we sin, at the root of that sin is rebellion. Lest we think ourselves better than we are, we must remember that at the root of our sin is rebellion. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 23, Samuel writes, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. In this, God is showing us, that his, showing us his great abhorrence for disobedience by comparing our rebellion, comparing our disobedience against his word and principles to such a vile practice as witchcraft, as satanic divination. And I'm sure tonight that none of us here would intentionally involve ourselves in something so vile. Yet, when we disobey God... We are doing that very thing. Let us go back for a moment to abiding in the vine. We spoke about this last Wednesday evening. We spoke about it again Sunday. To keep the vine healthy, the husbandman must ensure that there is no corruption attached to the vine. Those of you who have ever planted a garden or, or grown, grown some, some type of vegetation, you know that you have to go through and you have to you have to look at your crops. You have to get, the, get all the harmful insects off of it. And you've got to pull the weeds, right? And if you've got a, a dying branch, you want to get that off of there. Why? Because 
otherwise you can't keep the, vine, the, the, the plant healthy. What does the husbandman do to a branch that is corrupt? A branch that bears no fruit from the vine. Well, in John chapter 15 and verse 2, we see that every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, don't be confused by the fact that Jesus used the phrase, in me, to describe these corrupt branches that bear no fruit. These are the tares amongst the wheat that are spoken of in Scripture. These, vine, these branches in the vine are, are those that profess Christ, but have never been saved. I read the commentary notes from John Gill on this verse, and here's what he wrote. There are two sorts of branches in Christ the vine. The one sort are such who have only an historical faith in him, believe but for a time and are removed. They are such who only profess to believe in him, as Simon Magnus did, are in him by profession only. They submit to outward ordinances, become church members, and so are reckoned to be in Christ, being in a church state, as the churches of Judea and Thessalonica and others are said in general to be in Christ, though it is not to be thought that every individual person in these churches were truly and savingly in him. These branches are unfruitful ones. What fruit they seem to have withers away and proves not to be genuine fruit. What fruit they bring forth is to themselves and not to the glory of God, being none of the fruits of his spirit and grace, and such branches the husbandman taketh away. These branches most definitely will be removed by the husbandman. If they are allowed to continue, they will corrupt other branches. Their barren condition will spread and will corrupt the smaller, younger branches. And this is why we in our churches sometimes witness those who begin and then fall away from our fellowship. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19, John writes, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. These branches have been trimmed away by the husbandman so that the whole may benefit and flourish in the vine. But those branches who truly abide in Christ, who do produce fruit from the vine, they represent those who are true believers, those who have been regenerated and redeemed by the vine. They represent those that are obedient unto God and his word. Now, for a few moments, I'd like to look at obedience and give it some thought. I thought about this as I was preparing this section of the, of the message. What produces obedience? What, 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 is the, what is our obedience? Let me give you, give you a few thoughts here. First of all, obedience begins with faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, we read, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, everything in the Christian's life begins with faith. 
It is impossible to be saved without faith. And furthermore, it is imperative that you and I realize that in our old nature, there is no way that we can exhibit faith in Christ. Even this, even the faith that we have to be saved is not from within us. It too has been given to us by the vine, through the vine, by the Father. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, we read, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Oh yes, it is God that gives us the faith we need to believe. It's like a branch. On, 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 and the Lord took that branch, me, and he grafted me to the vine. And after, when he grafted me to the vine, the life of the vine and the fruit of the vine flowed into the branch and made me a part of the vine. I, got, I gained the faith to believe. I, I gained the knowledge of Christ. I gained, I gained a holiness. I gained a righteousness. I gained a witness. I gain all these things. I grow and I begin to flourish and I become stronger and, and become more fruitful. Why? Because I was grafted into the vine. My faith flows through Christ. It is God that gives us the faith we need to believe as well as the faith we need to live. Paul states in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, For I say, through the grace given unto me... To every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That's our big problem in America today, by the way. We, we, th- we think we're too hot. We, we, we think too much of ourselves. Am I happy? Do I have enough food to eat? Do I like my house? Do, do I have a big enough car? Do, am I getting paid well enough? Well, Paul says, don't think too highly of yourself. But think soberly or seriously, according as God, look at this carefully, hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. God has given you the faith you need to live. He's given you, he hasn't given you some faith to live. And he hasn't given you more faith than you need to live. God has given you exactly what you need to live for him. He's given us that faith, the measure of of faith. Don't ever say, I just don't have that much faith, because that's not true, unless you are not attached to the vine. But if you abide in the vine, you have all the faith you need. God, is not, God has not withheld any faith from you, and he hasn't given you more than you need. He's given you just what you need. God has given you all the faith you need. You have all the faith you need to believe, and you have all the faith you need to obey. So obedience begins with faith. But then secondly, our obedience is before sacrifice. Now in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22, Samuel states, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Now, let me state today that God does want us to live sacrificial lives. He does desire that 
you and I would, would, would live a sacrificial life for him. In fact, Paul stated just that in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, where he states, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He stated that it is a reasonable thing for us to be sacrificial in our life. However, this does not supersede obedience to God. I've known many Christians over the years who are more than willing to do things for the church, but they fail in their obedience to the Lord. They preach, they sing, they volunteer in the church, they tithe and all these things, but all the while they fail to obey the Lord in things such as husbands, love your wives. I've known bus captains over the year, men who sacrifice greatly their time, their money, and their energy. I've known bus captains who divorce their wives and families, leave them. Fathers, admonish your children. I've known, I've known men, I've known deacons over the years who have neglected their children and not taken the time to minister unto their own children in their lives. What about the Lord's commands such as servants, obey your masters. People who lie and cheat on the job, steal from their employers. What about brethren, love and respect one another? People who, who, try to ser- who, who serve the Lord in the church, yet they, they hate their own brothers and sisters in Christ. Something's wrong there, isn't it? We offer God our sacrifice, but we fail to give him our obedience. That's exactly what Saul did. And then he had the gall to blame the people. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Let's turn together. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Now, God had told Saul to go and utterly destroy Amalek. He told Saul to kill all the men, all the women, all the children, all the infants, all the sheep, all the lamb, all the goats, all the cows, all the worms, everything. He said, utterly destroy Amalek. Now, let me stop for a moment. Maybe you don't agree with that. Maybe you sit there and you say, well, I just don't think it's right that God told Saul to go and kill babies. I just don't think that's right. Well, uh, it's not for you and I to outthink God, is it? God gave Saul a command. God, in his wisdom, knew what he was doing, but Saul decided he was smarter than God. And he he didn't completely obey the Lord. He did go and kill all the men But he kept the women and the children, and he kept the best of the sheep and the cattle. And by the way, many years later, who was it that killed Saul? It was was an Amalekite that killed Saul. So Saul got what he deserved for not obeying God. But look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel disobeyed the Lord. Then look, look here at verse number 1. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken unto the voice 
of the Lord, of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. So we see the command of God. Now let's go over to verse number 7. We read there, And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah unto the, thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and of the lambs and all that was good. It would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and uh, refuse, that they destroyed utterly. So he didn't obey the Lord. He didn't destroy everything as God commanded him to do. He partially obeyed God, but he didn't completely obey God. So now let's look over at verse number 19. Samuel is talking to Saul. Now he says, Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Oh, you did? Doesn't look to me like you did. And have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Now look at verse 21. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God and Gilgal. What did Samuel do? He blamed the people. He blamed the people for his own disobedience. He was the king. It was his responsibility to utterly obey the Lord, to completely obey the Lord. But he didn't do it. Now what about us tonight? Are we obeying the voice of the Lord? Or are we like Saul, reevaluating the commands of God because they're not what we want them to be? Don't question God's commands, simply obey them. Obedience begins with faith. It's before sacrifice. Then thirdly, obedience results in friendship with Christ. I love this. Back in John chapter 15, hopefully you have a marker there. Go back there and let's look at verse 14. John chapter 15, verse 14. Look at what Jesus says here. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. So obedience results in friendship with Christ. Now, you tell me, what could be more satisfying in this life than to be a friend of Christ? We all know that we get as far in life as those we know, right? Everybody wants to know a banker. Huh? Everybody wants to, to know a doctor. Everybody wants to be friend with a doctor and a lawyer and a banker. All those kind of people. Why? Because they're influential people. But who could you possibly want to be friends with more than God? What a joy that is. Consider for a moment with me the men of the Bible who were obedient unto God. And consider the relationship that resulted from their obedience. Think about Noah for a moment. God came to Noah and, 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 and looked at Noah and saw Noah's obedience. 
And the Bible says in Genesis 6.22, Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he. And in verse 8, we find in Genesis chapter 6, the Bible states, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why did Noah find grace in God's eyes? Because he did all that he commanded him to do. He was obedient unto God. And Noah's relationship, Noah's obedience to God yielded him a relationship with God that he found grace in God's eyes. And what was the result? Noah and his family are the only survivors of the flood. That's a pretty good advantage, right? What about Abraham? In James chapter 2 and verse 23, we read, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called, I love this, the friend of God. Noah, uh, Abraham obeyed God. Abraham obeyed God when God gave him the most difficult of all commands to follow. And that was to sacrifice his own son. God came to Abraham and told him, Abraham, take Isaac, thy only son, Take him to a mount that I will show you, and there offer him up to me for a burnt sacrifice. And Noah didn't hesitate. He woke up in the morning, he took his son, and he went and he obeyed God. And what was the result? He's called the friend of God. He's the father of the faithful because of his obedience to God. What about Joshua and Caleb? Two great men in the Bible. Two of the greatest men in the Bible. We read in Numbers chapter 32 and verse 12 concerning God's judgment upon Israel and the fact that all those in the wilderness above the age of 20 would die. And here we read in Numbers chapter 32 and verse 12, Save Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. And Joshua and Caleb were the only of two of their whole generation to see the promised land. Because they obeyed God. I said obedience results in friendship with Christ. But once again, in our natural state, we are unable to produce this fruit. This fruit of an obedient life. It is only by the power and the work of the vine, Jesus Christ, that we can bear this fruit. It is only by the grace and mercy of of God through the blood of Christ and by the indwelling spirit that we are able to bear this fruit, that we are able to obey the commands of the Lord and not rebel against him. When we, when we mentally detach ourselves from the vine and we come over here in our flesh and in our own efforts, strive to, 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 to produce fruit and strive to be obedient unto God, we fail. We utterly fail. Why? Because it is not in us to do this. We do not have this ability. We do not have this strength. If we did, we would not have needed a Savior. We would not have needed one to come and die for us if we were capable of doing all these things. But we are not. No more than a branch lying on the ground is capable of popping out fruit We are not capable of holiness and righteousness and obedience. Oh, maybe for short periods of time we can obey. 
But how many of you can testify that before you were saved, you tried and tried and tried again to be obedient to the commands of God, yet you failed utterly? And why is that? Because the flesh cannot obey. The flesh must rebel. But when we abide in the vine, when we come to the point where we realize that our righteousness, our fruit, our holiness is not in us, but it flows through us, through the, from the vine, then we stop trying to please God and we let God live through us. The abundant life is a fruitful life. It's an abiding life. It's an obedient life. Then fourthly, the abundant life is a life of love. John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Now again, this fruit does not agree with our old nature, this fruit of, of, of love. In the flesh, we cannot love one another as Christ desires that we do. We cannot love one another. Jesus said that ye love one another as I have loved you. And in the flesh, we can't love each other as Jesus loves us. It's not possible. In the flesh, we only love those that love us. We love only those that are lovable. In the flesh, we do not love those that wrong us. We do not love those that do not treat us the way we want to be treated. We do not love those that are unlovable. Now, if you've ever taught children, you know that you, what I'm talking about when I talk about unlovable. Kids can be little snots, you know that? They can just be the meanest little things you've ever seen. And some kids are hard to love. By the way, some adults are hard to love, too. But we are to love those, even those that are unlovable. Consider Stephen for a moment. Turn with me. Let's all go to Acts chapter 7. I preached a little bit about this in chapel this morning to the teenagers. Acts chapter 7. Now, in Acts chapter 7, we find Stephen standing before the Sanhedrin. And he's testifying. And they're not too happy. Because he let them have it. He didn't hold back any punches. He was a good Baptist preacher who wasn't afraid to preach to the crowd that was sitting in front of him. And you know what? That's one of the things I love about our pastor. He's not afraid to preach the truth. Whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, is irrelevant. He has a task when he stands in this, in this pulpit to preach truth, and that's what he's going to do. And praise God for that. I don't want a preacher that's going to lie to me. I don't want a preacher that's just going to tell me what I want to hear. And, I, I, and I'm tired of hearing, oh, you shouldn't preach hard to Sunday morning people because they're not used to hard preaching. Well, if we don't give it to them then, when are they going to get it? They don't come to Sunday night and Wednesday night. We better let them have it while they're here. Amen? Let's look at Acts chapter 7. Look at verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Oh, Stephen preached a message that convicted them in their heart. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. They, they started biting him. You ever been so mad that you had to bite down on something? They were biting on Stephen. 
But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, I'm pretty sure that Stephen didn't like the men that were killing him. I don't think he he liked them too much at that moment. But I know that he loved them. And I know this because of the very last words he spoke on this earth when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, as I mentioned Sunday evening, there is a distinct difference between liking someone and loving someone. The definition of like is to be fond of, while the definition of love is a strong, positive emotion of regard and affection. Jesus didn't command us to like one another. Although this is a good thing to do. But he did command us to love one another, even as he loves us. And the only way we will accomplish this, the only way we will bear this fruit, is if we abide in the vine. And this is the abundant life that God wants us to have. Now, in closing tonight... I want to share some thoughts with you concerning how Christ loves us. How does Christ love us, the branches that abide in him, in the vine? Well, first, let me give you this for consideration. He loves us unconditionally. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, the Bible states, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ does not love us because we deserve to be loved. He loves us because we are God's elect children. Not because of who we are, but because of what he's done. Not because of what we've done, but because of who he is. Brother Joe's found a song a while back entitled, Who Am I? I don't know if you remember, I sang that just just recently, and that's exactly the theme of this song. The song says, not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I am or what I've done, but because of who you are. God doesn't love us. Christ does not love us because there's anything in us to love. He loves us because the Father loves us and has elected us unto salvation, and God loves us unconditionally. Despite what we've done, despite what we are, he loves us. And this is the same way that we are to love one another. Not because of what we do, but because of who we are. We are brethren in the Lord. The love we have through the vine is an unconditional love. So let you and I, as we dwell together, stop putting conditions on our love for one another. 
Let us stop saying, well, I'll love you if. I'll love you if you do this, or I'll love you if you, if you dress a certain way. I'll love you if you speak a certain way. I'll love you if you only listen to a certain kind of music. That's the standard bearer's philosophy in life. That's those that are trying by their outward righteousness to please God. Let us live in the vine and let God's righteousness and Christ's holiness flow through us. And let us love one another unconditionally, not because of what we can do, but because of who we are. We are children of God. We love because he loves us. But then secondly, I want you to note that he loves us eternally. He loves us eternally. In Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3, we read, The Lord Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. This verse demonstrates the great breadth of God's love. He loved me before I knew him. He loved me before the world began, and he will love me for all eternity. His love for me will never end. He loves me with an everlasting love. And such is the love we need tonight. We need this type of love. We need this eternal love, this everlasting love. We need this in our marriages. You know... In, our, in today's society, 50% of marriages end in divorce. 50%. That's one in every two marriages end in divorce. And we need an eternal love in our marriages. My wife and I have been married for 30 years. We've had some moments. It's always my fault, my mistake. But never even once have we considered divorce. Never even once. Never even spoke about it. Never even considered it. Because I love her with an eternal love. We need this in our marriages tonight. We need this for our children. We need to love our children because of who they are and what God made them to be. Not because they aren't what we want them to be. But because of what they are. God made your children. Now, you can't blame God for all of it. We had a little, we we contributed quite a bit to some of their outcome. But have you ever, you know what? I tell teenagers all the time when they come to me and they're, they're, they're talking to me about their parents, say, you stop right there. God gave you your parents. God knew what he was doing. You love them. You honor them. You obey them. That's the parents God gave you. But you know what, parents? God gave you those children. You love them. You take care of them. You teach them. You train them because God gave them to you. He didn't make mistakes. He gave you those children. They're yours. You make sure that you do right by them. You love them eternally. We need this kind of love towards our brethren in the church. Whether we like, whether we like them or not, we need to love each other. Uh, by the way, I tell the, I tell the kids all the time, you better start liking me. Because I'm not, I'm, I'm going to be with you forever. Eternal. You may think, I tell them, you may think when you hit 12th grade and you graduate, you're done with me, but you're not. Because when you die, I'm going to be there, you're going to be there, and I'm going to bug you forever. So you better start liking me now. 
And I better start liking you now because we're together forever, folks. Forever. Because God's never going to stop loving us. So why should we stop loving each other? He loves us unconditionally. He loves us eternally. And then, thirdly, he loves us sacrificially. John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. 1 John chapter 3, and verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, this is hard. To give your life for another is hard. And certainly, this can only be done for someone you truly love. Rarely will a man risk his life for someone he doesn't love. Think about our soldiers tonight. Think about a soldier who gives his life on the battlefield. That soldier doesn't die because he likes everybody in America. I'm sure that soldier, I'm sure there's lots of politicians he didn't like. I'm sure there's lots of laws he didn't like. I'm sure there's lots of things he didn't like. But he does love America. He or she does love liberty. And even though they don't like everyone, they love their nation and they love its citizens. And they lay down their life if need be for you and I, for our liberties, for our freedom, for our nation. And this is the love that God desires that we possess tonight. But folks, this kind of love can't come from our flesh. This kind of love will, not, will never reveal itself when we live apart from the vine, when we detach ourselves from the vine, and we strive to love in our own flesh. We'll never love this way, ever. But when we come to the Lord and we, we say, Lord, I can't, but you can. And I yield myself to you. Lord, live your life through me. Love through me. Teach me how to love. And this love can only flow through us from the vine. Jesus, the vine, teaches us how to love. He empowers us to love. He produces love in our lives because we abide in him and he abides in us. Now, folks, there is, there is just so much more. I, I haven't even hardly begun to scratch these 15 verses in John chapter 15. There, there, is, just, there is just so much more that could be said and so much more that should be said. And the only reason I'm stopping here is because I just don't have any more time. Now, I don't know about you tonight, but I desire, I don't just want to live as Jesus came to give me life. I don't just want to live. I want to live the abundant life that God has for me. But I will never live that abundant life apart from him. I will never fully live the life that God wants me to live as long as I am trying to live that life. I can only live that life when I live in Christ. When I dwell in his word and when his word dwells in me. When I stand in his strength. When I trust in his righteousness. I rest in his righteousness. 
Only then can I live that abundant life that God desires me to live. I have to let go of all these petty things. I have to let go of all these, all these vain efforts and allow Christ, the vine, to produce fruit through the branch, through me. If we are living the abundant life, we will have joy, blessedness, assurance, and peace. The abundant life, it will be a fruitful life. It will be an abiding life. It will be an obedient life. It will be a loving life. Are you living the abundant life tonight? Are you abiding in the vine? And is the vine abiding in you and living through you? I hope so. I hope that's true for me. And I hope it's true for all of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much tonight. Lord, we're just branches. Branches can't produce fruit. Branches can't produce life. Only the vine can produce the life. Only the vine can produce the fruit. So, Father, tonight we're going to lay down our efforts. We're going to stop trying to, through our flesh and through our own efforts, even though we, we think we're being spiritual, we're going to stop trying to live righteous, and we are going to just love you and meditate upon you and pray to you and worship you and adore you. We're just going to abide in you and allow you to abide in us and allow you to produce fruit through us. And we'll find joy. And we'll find peace, and we'll find blessedness, and we'll find happiness, and we'll find all of this in you. And we will live a life that bears a witness, bears a witness of you. Thank you for all that are here tonight. I pray for our pastor tonight as he's away. I pray that you'd comfort him and give him, give him rest. I pray you'd protect him and Lord, we love him, and we ask that you would bring him back to us soon, that, that, that he may preach to us, and that we may serve alongside of him. Thank you for everyone here tonight. I just ask that you would bless all who are here. And we'll praise you, and we'll thank you for all these things, because it's unto your glory and your honor that we live. So bless us tonight with a blessedness from the vine. And we'll praise you and thank you for these things, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.